Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Hello, outliers, penheads, and bulls, and welcome back to the China Shop. Last time on the optional experience, we talked about using options to trade and understanding edge. Today, we're going to be creating an options strategy. If you haven't seen the previous episodes, those will all be in the show notes. Uh, don't worry, we'll wait while you go check those out. How long do you think I can actually get away with pausing here? Well, I'm, it depends on how fast they can listen. Sometimes I listen to a podcast at like 2.3 times speed. So if they can do it at like 50 times, they're probably almost done. How pissed would people be if this was a 30-minute recording of silence? <laughs> <laughs> Just us waiting. <laughs> if you are following along, please feel free to shoot us, uh, any of us, any messages. If you got questions, comments, or ideas, uh, all our contact info is in the episode description. And we're also recording video for these. We'll make sure to include the links to the video if you want to be able to see Eric's screen shares. Blaine, how have you been since the last time we met? I have been busy. I have two little kids. We've gotten back to school. I am starting a new company, which is exhausting. And I started a new podcast. So I've been trying to get that off the ground. So, you know, lots of lots of things going on. What's the new podcast? It's called Move Me Brightly. And it is about creative inspiration and burnout that, that like will eventually come and then trying to reignite that creativity to make a long creative career. Join us every Monday. <laughs> Do you have any quick one minute tips to, to, that I can write down in my notebook before we get going? Uh, my biggest, <laughs> so I'm a painter and a photographer and that's my painting. Um, I've been a artist for a really long time. And my biggest tip is if you are a painter, try cooking. If you are a chef, try painting. Try something else that scratches that creative itch that's not in your genre and will get your brain trying to figure out a new problem. And it can give you some insight to bring back to your career. I like that. I like that a lot, actually. Yeah. Because a lot of times you learn other skills from doing those other things, too, that you can apply to your your true passion. Mm -hmm. 
Well, it's also interesting because I was thinking another really fun thing to to see if I can get you to talk about sometime, Penny, would be the way you think about like non creative people leaning into their creative sides because I've never considered myself creative in any capacity whatsoever. And then sometimes people will look at some of the stuff I'm working on with like a car or some of the ways I think about trading. They're like, no, it's actually like kind of creative. It's just like, I think for a lot of people like me that tend to have more of like a technical um, proclivity that we just block out that entire idea of creativity. And even what you were talking about there kind of resonated a lot. That could be a fun thing to hear you discuss at some point for sure. For sure. I've found that over and over and over again with this podcast is anyone who asked me what I'm up to and I described the podcast, every single person has been like, I understand that completely. I know what that's like. And I think it's just a product of the way society is today. Like everyone's burnt out. We're all doing the best we can, you know, and something to re-engage you in your passion is needed by everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, Eric, what's been going on with you, man? Chilling, man. Yeah. The, the markets have been awesome. This is like exactly, it's one of those like story years so far where I'm doing better than I typically would using way less money than I typically would. So my risk has been quite low throughout most of the year and I'm still making like really good money, way more than I, I needed to so far this year. And it's like, I think the thing that I've been trying to explain to specifically traders is that there are times where markets like this happen and you can kind of get into like this flow state where you are just performing really well. And the name of the game for the rest of the year is to continue to perform, but to protect what you've made so far, right? I've seen more than enough people, myself included at points, give up way too much, continuing trying to pursue that. But I think especially for derivatives traders right now, this is about as engaging of a market as I could conceive of. Even this recent downturn, which has been actually really fantastic, I turned net short deltas the essentially beginning of this month. And it's for a bunch of different reasons, but it's been fun tinkering with different trades that have been on the shelf for a while. So yeah, overall, I'm actually like super stoked with the markets. Uh, yeah, um, one of the things you just said there, yeah, that'd be a fun discussion to have at some point, like one to step on the gas pedal and one to pull back and protect yourself. That'd be, that'd be fun to get your thoughts on like how to actually approach that. I think actually, I mean, to, to hit it at a high level real quick, it's one of those things that I, I made fun of that in a recent video I put out, I, I kind of made a, I took a clip of a day trader YouTube short that I saw. And at one point it was like, he said like, okay, you know, so it's Friday, so I'm done. And it was like, you know, first thing in the morning, Friday. And I was just like, I can't think of like a less logical approach to trading than to decide it's Friday, I'm done. Like mm -hmm. the thing that frustrated me in hearing that is like, if you are doing well, continue doing the thing you're doing well, because you never know when the conditions change and it, whatever you're doing well, doesn't apply anymore. Mm -hmm. So the way I think about like maintaining benchmarks is as soon as I exceed minimum benchmark threshold at that point, I don't just stop because who knows next year I could get it wrong all year. So right. it's not good to just stop. However, if I'm on pace, I definitely am very cautious with risk. And I typically look at trades as why should this trade earn my money, not anything else. So you become just very selective in what you put out. That's literally the high level way I balance 
kind of being where I'm at, but still moving closer to where I'm trying to go. That's it. I've been catching myself uh, the last, uh, at least one time this past week, where I was like, okay, I think I was doing back testing, trying to replay some days just to uh, spot some things that maybe I missed during the the previous sessions. And I found myself sitting there like a half hour into it. And it's like, I haven't made a trade in so long. I got to look for an entry. Like, no, wait, what am I doing? No, no, there's nothing presenting itself. Hands off and wait for an opportunity. I like what you said about uh, letting this trade earn my money. And that's the kind of mentality I think I want to try to focus on. Definitely. And I think that that's the importance of having a like adjustable repertoire, because if mm -hmm. you're a one trick pony, then to your point, if you're not putting risk out, you're not making money. So then mm -hmm. you start forcing opportunities because it's the only way you can make money. Right. But if you have a deeper toolbox that you can say, okay, this specific approach is not yielding any results right now. Let me look at one of the other ones. For example, like the way that the market's been turning over and the reason why I turned net short is exactly because all of my bullish trades, I was looking at them saying, that just doesn't look right. Like this, this isn't what I need to see for this to earn my money. Right. And then I started looking at the other side of the toolkit and saying like, okay, well, maybe it's time to start looking at some short deltas. And that's exactly how I rotate between long and short. Same thing with volatility, stuff like that. All right. Well, I think we might have uh, used up a little bit more time in the intro than usual. Uh, should we kick this thing off and get going? Might as well. So I am going to share my screen as per usual. And I want to start with just taking a look at the homework. And we were actually talking a little bit before we started the recording about the different stuff that Blaine's been working on. And I actually think that it's a great dialogue. So for those to kind of catch everybody up super quickly, when we first started, Blaine essentially said, Eric, I think your homework's dumb as fuck. Go do, you know, go, just leave. Um, essentially, when, but essentially, what she was explaining is like all these different things that she's working on. And I couldn't actually resonate more with her because I experienced this throughout my entire Marine Corps career where I literally get told on a Tuesday, hey, man, on Thursday, you're going to the field for three and a half weeks. Um, you know, hope you don't have anything big going on this weekend. It's like, nah, man, I don't. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, the whole idea though, is I think traders specifically do well to acknowledge exactly like Blaine is doing, you know, the different priorities that she has, and then trying to figure out what's the best way to navigate all these different things that we're trying to accomplish. So I don't know, Blaine, if you want to go into any like general detail on the, the way that you're generally feeling towards this or stuff like that, or just your workload as it is, because I think that that's something people can connect with and then we can kind of build off that. Yeah, sure. Well, going back to the podcast that I started, one of the reasons I started trading is I genuinely believed it was one of the most creative things I'd ever seen. Like you look at the market and anybody can trade the market in any kind of different way. It's the ultimate choose your own adventure. And I found it like very creatively inspiring. And I have now, um, am just trying to execute one thing, which is breakout trading or trading the opening range. And it's just not going very well for me. And it really pushed me down a path of, well, maybe I'm just not executing the way that I should, or maybe I'm too distracted or something. I got caught in my mind that like the method worked and I just wasn't executing it well, which led me down 
just like a terrible way of talking to myself. And mm-hmm. like I said, I've got the podcast going on. I'm starting a new business. And all of those things were so inspiring that I was like, I just don't want to talk to myself like this and start my day with, oh, you forced that trade or you took a losing trade or you, you know, any of these different kind of things, which then it's been, it's been three weeks since we recorded, right? Yeah. And I took, I've taken a few trades and as soon as I took them, I just knew that I was taking them for the show and was just kind of like, you don't want to be here. You don't want to be trading. And in three years, I've never, ever felt that. Like I would get up at six o'clock and just watch the time and just like, you know, just be waiting for the market to open like an addict. Um, and I, for the first time ever today, I looked at my phone at 1030 and was meaning to trade today because I wanted to have some homework done for the show. And at 1030 was open and like my indicate my, the trade I wanted wasn't there. And I was just like, I can't do it. I've got other things to do. I don't want to do it. So I found myself in brand new territory of not needing to trade not really wanting to trade, and then just not feeling very great about trading at the moment. Yeah, I I love that, to be honest, because you're, especially like I also have a pretty obsessive personality, not insinuating that you do, but I do. a lot of people- it's fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we all do. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of people that pick up trading do exactly that. And I did the same exact thing where if I look back at my logs of literally like my first three years of trading, it's insane. It, it was like a full-time job and it was all driven by infatuation, right? I was starting to see success and, and stuff like that. And it's one of the interesting things about traders is that the key drop-off period is five years where based on most of the peer-reviewed studies that I've read, the vast majority of traders wash out within five years. So the first thing I think about is, okay, how do we get past that kind of hurdle, right? Not saying once you get past five years, you're good, but the idea being is that's very clearly a point of attrition broadly. And one of the things I try to you know, impart on people is like, if we want to not be a part of what happens to the average person, we have to acknowledge what happens to them, figure out how to circumnavigate it. And I specifically look at your style of trading, and we kind of talked about this before, that one of the things I was actually hoping to work with you at some point is to integrate some less high-touch tools in the toolkit. And it's to guard against this exact thing. This is like if people say, like Eric, oh, so when I tell, you know, people are like, oh, what do you do for work? Oh, I'm a trader. And they're like, oh, you're a day trader. And I always say, no, I'm not. I'm not a day trader. Sometimes I trade intraday, but that's a small amount of what I do. And that's for a reason because it's super high touch. It is the hardest time frame to trade objectively. Again, that's also from peer reviewed studies. So I think that your use case is actually really interesting. And I hope over the course of specifically this session and the next one, that we can try to integrate some other ideas that might fit your current lifestyle better and just your current overall disposition towards trading. Because still, even if you decided to do something like a moving average momentum strategy, where if something crosses above a 50-day moving average, you buy, you hold it until it crosses below, that's it. 
that is one of the most powerful strategies that exist, but most people can't do it because it's too boring for them. They need the stimulation. But in your case, something like that actually might make a ton of sense. So my my goal specifically with you is to not even get you to do any sort of specific strategy, just to present some of them to you. And then to see like, does this fit? Does it not? And what I say for a lot of people, honestly, buy and hold is buy and hold for a reason. It works for everybody. And that could be a big part of what you choose to do going forward so that you can focus on these other things. But all of that being said, I think one of the things I'm excited about specifically with your use case is to explore some of these different tools so that you can make that choice. And the cool part is, is none of it's permanent, right? There are times where you have more time, times when you have less time and you can kind of, but I do want to say, obviously, thank you for being just genuine, right? About what you're going through. A lot of people struggle with that. That's one of the things that I really value. It's one of the reasons why I've always enjoyed talking to Kyle for so long because he and I both share that exact disposition where sometimes we're doing great, sometimes we're not. And talking about those things, I think is really useful. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. The low moments, I think, are where we learn the most about ourselves and the, the biggest opportunity for growth. For sure. Yeah, yeah without a doubt. Yeah. And I've been, um, it's been a hard couple of weeks too, because I haven't felt like trading, but then I also have put time and money and brain power, like the last three years of my life, I have been solely devoted to this. Mm -hmm. And I am, I also built like a big podcast audience. And I, I feel like I have a place in this world. And there's some kind of sadness to that too, of like, do you want to walk away from something that like blood, sweat, tears, you've worked so hard on? And just like try to do something new. And I think the answer is no, but I don't want to continue down the same path that I was on. Yeah. And did I tell you guys that I had um, all those heart issues this spring? No. I had to I had to go to the cardiologist and my blood pressure was 180 over 110, which is like you're going to have a stroke yeah, level. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so now I'm on two blood pressure medicines. And I think that there were multiple contributing factors, but I think trading the way that I was um, or the way that I was up until a few weeks ago was a big contributor to that. Cause I would like put a trade on and then my, I could just, I couldn't breathe right until yeah. it was over. And I was just in so much like anxiety. And one of my big goals this summer was to figure out if I could trade and not have that anxiety. And so far, I've not really been able to. If I'm trading, I'm anxious. And that's, you know. I th yeah, I think we'll be able to work through that because I actually think that that is probably, and you're not the only one that feels like that, right? I One of the beauties for me is like, since I started trading so young, I, I'm just so used to it, right? Like I have absolutely developed a very successful detachment from my trading capital. But sometimes that leads me to forsake that this is a really common thing people go through. So I'm actually really stoked that you also brought that up because I think discussing the, the importance of like psychological detachment from two things. The first one is the capital itself. That tends to be what people cling on to because they don't view this as an opportunity cost they view this as my hard work. This is X mm -hmm. number of hours of whatever I do. Like that is super stressful. And then the second thing is performance anxiety, 
where a lot of newer traders really get upset if they have a losing trade or a streak of losing trade or losing month or year, like that really starts to wear down on them mentally. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I think about for both of those, the detachment from capital is more tricky. You kind of have to get into the psychology of the person, how they think about money and different ways to create a really like a healthy distance and separation between our attachment to the capital and the capital itself. But for the second part of kind of that performance anxiety, people who stick around the business for longer periods of time, we almost develop a sense of humor about trades losing. And most of us will talk far more about our losing trades than our winning trades. And it's because we don't view a losing trade as a reflection of Eric is a loser. We view a losing trade as a part of a broader system that provided it's profitable. That's all that matters. Mm -hmm. So we'll definitely be able to kind of weave some of those undertones into the dialogue because both of those two functions are massive, massive psychological pressures for pretty much any trader that exists, especially when it's as binary as you are right or you are wrong and it's all on you. That is difficult, you know, to kind of digest. But I still think, again, the fact that you are self-aware like that and identify those kinds of things, I think is massive because probably the worst way to trade is when you feel that way. Yeah. And yeah, it really contorts our psychological process. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, thanks for sharing that because I can definitely relate to a lot of that. Yeah. So speaking of that, um, and also speaking to the fact that I realized that I spelled peer review wrong, that's kind of fun. Um, <laughs> I guess this, this, this wasn't peer reviewed. It was peer review, I guess you'd say. Um, but I do want to talk you guys quickly about some of the, the homework. So Kyle, one of the things that we wanted to discuss are just some basic strategies for different market conditions, which is literally exactly what we're talking about right now. Yeah. Because yeah. one of the things that we're going to get into in a second with you, Blaine, is a time frame condition, which is a fair condition. Like there's plenty, like I'm going to Iceland this month. I need to set up my portfolio so that and nothing breaks while I'm gone, right? There's always different levels of time constraints on what we're doing. So um, in general, Kyle, how did you find creating some strategies? Like, was it a straightforward process to you? The main thing I want to get into here is not reviewing each of these just yet, but I want to get into how you thought about approaching it. Um, let's see. Okay. So basically I broke this, um, down into a matrix, uh, bullish, bearish, neutral on one axis, and then high, low transitioning volatility on the other. And then just generically, I think that what I want to be is net credit when we have high volatility and I want to be net debit when we're low volatility. And then from digging down into that, I've kind of drilled down a couple of ideas that I, uh, tested out with some paper trades and going to continue following down that and seeing how it performs. Okay. A lot of what I've been focusing on is straddles, I think, so far. Straddles and deep in the money, uh, long dated options plays. Got it. I think overall, the way that you bucketed it makes sense. The one thing I would offer to you is I wouldn't necessarily limit being in credit or debit to whether or not volatility is high or low. Mm -hmm. In general, it's a good guideline in general. 
But if you're going to trade options and specifically if you're going to trade volatility, you'll find a lot of good volatility selling potential when implied volatility is relatively low. So mm -hmm. it's just kind of one unicorn to bake into your formula as you think about it. Interesting. Yeah. And we can talk about that in a little bit, but well, I can do I, should I talk yeah, through yeah. one of the actual trade theses and I can, I think I actually put one on, on triple M as one of the uh, examples. Well, it's actually perfect because the very first goal that I have for us is to review some recent trades. Okay. Well, that, <laughs> that I would love fit. to do just that with you. Okay. So triple M, uh, I ended up purchasing a put, it was a 125 strike, uh, 119.24 expiration. I picked the strike and the expirations because I wanted uh, a lot of time for this idea, this thesis to play out. I'll walk through the thesis in just a second. Yeah, just real quick. Can you let me know if you're bullish or bearish? Uh, bearish. Okay, got it. Sorry, go ahead. Um, I've been reading a lot of Wyckoff lately. So I, with the what you're looking at right there, I basically drew a box uh, around the high volume node there. And then mm -hmm. I had noticed that we had broken out and re-entered that distribution and once we'd re-entered the distribution my thesis was that we were going to come back to test the other side so targeting like what was that about 97 96 somewhere yeah. in there yeah got it um let's see the deltas i tried to shoot for at least a 0. 0.8 or higher i have no idea if that's right or not that was just uh, it seemed like a good starting point to go for let's let me recreate this with you so bring me to the right expiration uh, one nineteen twenty four, January. Sorry, yeah, that one. Nineteen January. You said one night. God damn it! You had me <laughs> yeah, twisted. Dude. One nineteen. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. I was like, yeah, where the fuck bit. is this? <laughs> yeah. And it was We're the one twenty five. We're off to a great start. Can't even find the fucking expiration cycle. Perfect. <laughs> and you said the one twenty five. Yep. Okay, this was in eighty delta at the time. At the time, it and was point eight three. Okay, and what did you buy it for? Uh, it would have been the median price was twenty three ten. Twenty three ten. Okay, and how many did you buy? Uh, just one because I've been trying to keep the risk units to a thousand, so that was all I could really afford to be able to put a stop on it. That made sense. Got it. Okay, so for everybody that's able to see the screen, you can kind of see that I'm just looking at a PNL chart. For those that can't, um, I'm looking at a PNL chart. Uh, <laughs> but realistically, it's just a it's a linear line, right? Yeah. It's negative sloping. So y equals mx plus b. This is going down, going down hard. But the idea is it's just a one to one ratio. And that's essentially by buying a put that's this far in the money, it's going to look just like short stock a yeah. little bit off, just a little bit, but not much. And that's that was the idea. Like I wanted to be Perfect. short basically the stock. And I thought if I use a deep in the money options contract, it'll act a lot more like a stock would. And I'd be able to instead of spending what would have been uh, ten thousand dollars for 100 shares, I could spend a thousand or two thousand. So yeah, you're getting leverage. And then um, what's the trade off here? So if we go super far in the money, what's mm -hmm. what are the downsides to that? Um, that would be. I had to pay a lot more up front. Good. That's the correct. That's yep. what I'm paying to not have as much data decay. Good. Um, One other I'm specifically thinking of. I'm guessing it's because the deltas are higher that it's going to be a lot more sensitive to the price movements than maybe uh, something else. 
that's definitely part of it. I would consider that a pro and a con, so I don't bucket that as a con directly. There's one other con that I think outright. Oh, the, um, hmm, I got nothing. So the return potential for this is less on a return on invested capital perspective. So if we go super far on the money, we're paying up front. We don't need as big of a move to be correct. And then ideally, um, you will still see appreciation in the value if you get your move, but it's not going to be a giant percent return. Whereas if you buy right, an option right. that's super far out of the money and then you get a big move, it compounds super fast. You can have like right. a thousand percent plus return. So that's the main thing. Is you don't get the Delta just, expansion. Exactly. That's exactly yep. right. Yep. That's perfect. But to be clear, this is exactly how I think about these trades. Depending on, and that's the other thing I wanted to ask you, what's the duration of your thesis? Like what time frame do you expect this to go down to here? Uh, based on just the average other rotations, I think is what I was looking at. So measure from like one peak to one trough. Mm -hmm. um, it looks like it's uh, like on the scale of weeks to months is what we're looking at, right? Yeah, that, I, I think that that's, that's right. So this is a six month daily. And the reason why I ask is because the one critique I would give this is I think this isn't the worst expiration. If this were me, I would probably have picked either the 90 or the 156. So I, I think like you're fine. The 90, because I felt like it was too short. I wanted to have enough time to where this could play out a lot longer if it needed to. Uh, that was the reason why I went to the next one. There's nothing in between at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think that that's fine. Like something between 90 and 180 typically I think is healthy for like an intra year, meaning within 12 months mm -hmm. for an expression to play out. The only reason why I bring up potentially looking at something like the 90 is what I tend to like to do is if I expect a lot of velocity in a move, I will add further out of the money kicker options. And if those are closer in expiration, they move more. Mm -hmm. So that it really comes down to your perception of velocity and then the time frame that it runs in. Again, I this is probably exactly what I would have picked, mm -hmm. but I'm just giving you some other ideas as well. Um, yeah, to to express the same thesis. And then how did you set your stop to the to the uh to the upside? Okay, so I set a uh just a hard stop at basically $10 of risk just to keep that thousand max risk. That's kind of like an oh shit protection, not uh, necessarily like what I'm relying on. Uh, okay. If I get a daily close above the value area, which I define as $107, then I will close. Or if price hits, uh, I think I wrote 96 half. And then the last condition on there was if the VPOC holds the support, then I will close the trade. So going back to the first one, the $10 of risk, at what point is that realized? Um, that is the goal is to close this out as soon as I see a daily close above $107 on the underlying. And is that where your 10 no. points of risk is? No, where no, is no. That? it should be significantly less than that. Um, uh, that is just in case something extraordinary happens like overnight or, or they could gap some, for some reason or another. Uh, it was just, uh, that's the max amount that I want to risk per trade. So I'll put a hard stop on there to protect that at least. Got it. I don't and, normally work without a stop, so <laughs> having condition-based stops is something new to me, and I don't like trading without them for some reason. I think the conditions are okay. Uh, let mm -hmm. me take a look real quick. So I'm grabbing an Excel sheet because I'm super bad at math, and I want to look at something quickly. So essentially, if we're saying that you would exit at 107, 
and you got in when it was trading at what like 100 something like that uh, no it's about 104 105 104 so the the thing that i would offer to you is 107 to 104 represents a a 2.8% move mm -hmm. the average daily move is 1.7% the average true range is almost 2% right out of the gate. So essentially with a stop that is that tight, if you get two days of otherwise normal movement, you're out. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that that's bad here. You could have a very tight risk tolerance here. I tend to have risk tolerances that are this tight if I have a big trade on and I either want to be right or I want to be wrong quickly. Those are my two scenarios. So in that scenario, I think this makes sense. But I always like to bring this up to people because sometimes when we pick an arbitrary stop based on a value of our position as compared to support or resistance or whatever the case is, sometimes that can be pretty tight, which is exactly what this case is. Like, fortunately, it's been moving in your favor, which is great. But yeah. essentially, if you had this equivalent move in the other direction, you're out already. Yeah, and I so, want to be out at that point. Uh, I mean, where right. it was rotating, that was basically right at the value area high, as I had identified it. And if it closed up out of that, those mini rotations for the last three days, then that means I was wrong, because right? that looks like a bullish continuation at that point. Got it. Yeah, then I, I think overall, I, I like I like the thesis. I like the way you structured it. Um, I think from like a technical perspective, this wouldn't be my personal go-to for a short. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's also, again, the, the beauty of the move that you're looking for. You carved out something that looks pretty decent, at least for the short term. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen. And I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. The right. way that I tend to look for short positions is I want like the dying sick creatures that can't catch a bid. Like that's what I'm looking for. So <laughs> I, I want stuff that looks awful, like it's falling off the cliff typically. Um, but I would consider this to be more of like a contrarian short, which is again, completely fine. It's just again, yeah. different ideas and yeah. So overall I dig it. Perfect. Do you have any other trades that you want to take a look at? Uh, there's a couple other like nuances to the trades, but I'll save that for the Q&A at the end because it's more just trying to understand certain aspects of what I should be looking at and what, where to find it. I dig it. So I want to jump us then quickly into our exercise. And the idea of these four different buckets is I want us to understand and kind of firm up. I think we should already understand most of this. And based on the dialogue, Kyle, that you and I had just a moment ago, I think that it is the case. But 
I want to integrate some other elements specifically for Blaine as we go through this, because the idea is to talk about ideal strategies that we want to build and you each can pick one. And then we want to discuss these four different traits to see what we should be looking for in those strategies. Mm -hmm. So Blaine, if it's cool, I'd love to, to pivot over to you because you have an interesting problem set where we're looking at something where before you were doing pretty short-term timeframes, very active. Have you thought, and I know that in general, you're kind of saying, I otherwise want to take a step back, probably don't want to trade. So with that as the backdrop, are there any kinds of investing or trading that you do want to think about? Or do you want me to just pitch you some ideas and go from there? It's totally your choice. So probably the best like run of trading I've ever had was I did some swing trading of just equities um, mm -hmm. for a couple of months and really enjoyed it. I mean, really enjoyed it. It's It was just the uh, adrenaline that made me go back to day trading. But I saw it was it was like breakout swing trading, but I the rules were so hard and fast. Like it was just very much an if this, then that. If it closes below, you know, crosses below here, then you're out. And I really liked that because I only had to work for about 30 minutes in the morning. I was like done by 10. I either took a position or didn't, had my stops in, and then would just go on with the rest of my day. Um, and found it very pleasant. So, yeah, I love that. So, mm -hmm. and I think, so what was, what were the typical timeframes for the swings that you were taking? Were they still intraday or was it no, like, they were three to five day momentum burst swings. Okay. Got it. So still pretty short, short timeframes. Now, what are your thoughts on, is that something that you want to refine down and pivot over to that from the breakouts? Or do you want to try to explore some longer term thesis that kind of gives you a little bit more flexibility? Honestly, I'm sort of open to anything at this point. Yeah, I think the, well, it's twofold. If the way I always tell people is like, if you find success in something, you should probably follow that until you're, you're proven otherwise. The problem is a lot of, you know, your success right now, it's in such a short term time frame, even three years is a very short term time frame for trading. It's really hard to like get behind it fully one way or the other. So I actually think your disposition is probably smart to be like open and to explore different things. Because one of the things I think about for you specifically is what if you were trying to do something closer to like a 30 day or a 90 day or a six month that I think is actually a pretty doable time frame. That's where people like Stan Weinstein and folks like those guys have had a lot of success, but those are trading different products. Those are, you know, typically small cap stocks looking for bigger runs. Those involve a bit more fundamental analysis, like um, earnings growth, stuff like that. Nothing crazy. Like you can literally bucket a scan. I have one that I look at, but I do think potentially seeing your like receptiveness to trading, like I said, like 60 day trades or 90 day trades. I think that could be kind of a pretty great sweet spot for you because you can also trade a lot of different strategies then. If you enjoy trading long, short equities or just long equities in those timeframes, that works. You can also trade a whole suite 
of option strategies in those time frames. Like for somebody like you, I think, let me take one step back actually before I say that. Have you clearly defined what you think your annual trading objectives are? Like at the end of the year, how do you look at your account and say this was successful? Well, I mean, for the, honestly, the first year was actually the first two years were like, the first year was pretty unprofitable. And then the second year was more kind of like break even-y. And then this year it is pretty red, like not as bad as the first year, but just it mm -hmm. hasn't been a great year for me. Mm -hmm. I have like a number that I would like to make from trading that is not my full salary that I'd like to make for a year and is very, very reasonable and seems incredibly easy to do. And if I could like reverse engineer how to make like, honestly, somewhere between a thousand to $1,500 a week would be, I would consider that like a great year. That would be, you know, lovely. Um, and I have all, that's always sort of been my goal. Uh, but of course, in that goal, I'd make like $1,500 in a day and then be like, well, okay, screw that. I'll make 5,000 this week or what, you know, I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't, I can't really stick to it. But in my mind, if I could just sort of pull out a certain amount every week from the market, I could just feel super successful. I think I think a bunch of thoughts for that. Okay. So I've, yeah, I'd, I'd love to dive in. So the way that you're thinking about the problem, literally, like genuinely, I believe is perfect. I believe a lot in begin with the end in mind. That's from Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. I read that like back when I was in college, but that's always stuck with me. Begin with the end in mind. And we do that in the Marine Corps too, where we reverse plan. So I love that you're thinking about it that way. And because you have those numbers, it actually makes our job right now super easy. So what I did was I'm just looking at it this way. If we're looking somewhere between 1,000 to 1,500 per week, taking the midpoint of 1,250, that's about 5K per month and 60K per year. That's what that boils down to gross. So that's before fees. I don't know how you, you know, uh, bucket that into your, into your takeaway. Now, the one thing, though, that I would immediately try to coach you away from is having a weekly goal. I think having a weekly target is fine. Nothing wrong with that. But again, the markets tend to move however they're going to move. So there could be a week where you're crushing it, and then there could be another week where you're sucking wind. So the way that I've kind of found that balance, at least for the timeframes that I trade, is I have a monthly target and then an annual goal. So it's just a slight change in mindset. But the reason why I think that might be important for you to at least consider is based on this sensation seeking that you're talking about, which again, a lot of traders have that where it's for adrenaline and we kind of like set up these really short term metrics. It can be very difficult to maintain a healthy headspace if you have two weeks in a row that don't go right or even three weeks in a row that don't go right. Yeah. And the other thing is I also caution all traders, every single one of them, from living spoon to mouth. What I mean by that is if you need to make $12.50 per week because you need to take out that $12.50 per week, you have zero room for any issues whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So what I actually think about is I like to have my trading account and my expenses charted out for two years. 
So if I have an entire bad year, I still have a full other year of expenses that I can draw from before I'm in any sort of trouble. And the reason for that is it gives my mind a giant place to rest. Because if I have a bad week, it doesn't matter. I have plenty of time to pivot. I have plenty of time to sort it out. So I think for traders, if we're thinking about, again, like we want to take 12.50 per week, that's totally cool. And you can still amortize that out for yourself. But the way that I look at it is really what you need is 60K per year based on this. And then depending on the principle that you're starting with, and then the subsequent skill set that we have, that is exactly how we arrive at what's possible. Well, this is now. So when I started trading, I honestly was like, well, I mean, I've made and lost like so much money doing this that sure. I was like, well, if I could just get to like $1,000 a day or $250,000 a year, that it that was my goal starting. Okay. And I think that that was just too much pressure on myself because I really did mm -hmm. need that money. However, mm -hmm. $52,000 a year, whatever it is, or $60,000 a year, I could, I mean, not to, I have just structured my life in a way where I do not have to have that money. That would mm -hmm. all just be like bonus money. That would be great, mm -hmm. which I am hoping would take away the stress, anxiety, pressure, all of those things and just make me not be as stressed. So That's I, but perfect. I came from like a, I'm going to put myself in a vice here and just make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like to really put a lot of pressure on myself just to yeah. see what I can do. Yeah. I, I literally love that. So, and the reason why I love it is because it's a very clear goal. And what it comes down to now is math. So obviously the first thing I look at is if that's your objective and we have one unprofitable year, a second year that was about break even, and then this year so far leaning towards the unprofitable side. It obviously tells me that the skill set needs development, right? In order to to be able to to align to that. But depending on the principal amount, which we don't have to get to on air, um, but the idea is if you tell me that you want to make sixty thousand dollars a year and you have a hundred thousand dollar account, real fucking tough. Real fucking tough. We we literally need 60% return in a year in order to do that. Like that's a dangerous game to play. It's not impossible. It's I, I actually think that's probably higher than my best return I've ever had. The best return I've had was 52.3% in 2013. So it's it's good return, right? Really good year, but still compared to some of these people, it's a it's a joke. Like if you look at the US yeah. investing championship. But well, my objective has a, always been if you have a hundred K account and you're making you have to do that every year too because you're never growing your capital either. Exactly. And yeah. the, the, the thing I've always focused on was consistency. Mm -hmm. So I think for you, Blaine, the way I think about that problem set, first off, is developing consistency in a strategy. And I think the two strategies I would start with with you would be the covered strangle, which is one of my essential like always go-tos, and then if you like those breakout style strategies, the second one I would look at is ratio diagonal. 
The second one is a little more complex, so now probably isn't the right time for you to start looking at that with all the stuff you have going on. But something like the covered strangle literally is set it and forget it. The downside, again, depending on what size of your account is against your objectives, it's a more conservative strategy unless you leverage it, which is part of it. And I think we should do that to some degree. I, I do. But I think that would be a part of where we would need to reconcile like your year over year goals um, to that kind of strategy. Because I do think, you know, depending on how much time do you think you want to spend on trading, give it on a like a weekly or a monthly basis. Like, what do you think would be fair given your current workload and your current priorities? Eight. Five to six hours a week. Oh, that's a shit ton. Never mind. Okay, you can do everything with that if you wanted. That like that like with diligent effort, like that's still a shit ton of time. So I guess the way I would proceed with you here at least is I would love to send you a couple videos that I've done on and these are like the strategies that I use, right? That's the whole point of why I started making videos is to share this stuff. Um so I'd love to share those two, probably two videos with you. The one is on the coverage triangle, and then the other one is on the ratio diagonal. And you could skip through it, right? You don't have to listen to the whole thing. There's a lot of detail in them. But the idea is to get a sense of which of those appeals to you, if any. And if you look at them, you're like, no, nah, man, none of this works for me. That's totally cool. Because after that, I would look at even potentially just long equities and using a trend following strategy. But the way I'm trying to think about your skill set and laying something over right now that makes sense is something that is not time intensive, where if you do spend more time on it, you see a return. Whereas if you don't spend more time on it, it still works. That I think would fit well with your current, um, your current priority set. I don't know how that resonates with you. I obviously am not trying to be prescriptive. I, I'd love, you know, any feedback on or initial thoughts on that. Sounds great. Okay, cool. Yeah. And I'll, I'll find the right ones for you to send over. And the yeah, the reason why I think that it will work well is because it gives you a ton of flexibility really on all these three buckets. So I wanna run through these real quick because I know we're coming up on time to give people some ideas on how they're picking strategies. And then I think as we move forward into the next session and we review some of our rough plans for some of these strategies, it'll give us a great launch pad to kind of discuss how to think about these different things. So the first one is Delta and days to expiration. Um, these are all like little charts that I've made based on market data. I think most of this is like 12 months ago. None of it matters, right? The underlying, the underlying price doesn't matter. I just want you to look at one thing, which is this is for a call option and we're looking at the Delta of the option. And then I want you to look at the slope of these lines as delta changes. The main thing I'm highlighting here with these squiggly lines that probably make it more complex to see than not is I want you to simply take away that if you are using shorter term options, the delta changes faster. That's it. And that's no surprise to anybody. This is because of gamma. But the reason why this matters, again, specifically for your use case, Blaine, is if you want a trade that's not flying all over the map because you're doing other stuff and you don't want to open up your portfolio and see like, shit, I'm down 30% in two days. What is this? You can avoid a lot of this by being thoughtful in terms of the risk we're offering. So in this case, again, if we have less time to trade and we want to touch it less, 
I do think going further out in time can make a lot of sense. There is a drawback to that, which we talked a little bit about before, but that's one thing I want to highlight first. We have two others, but before I move on, I want to see if either of you have any thoughts or questions on what you're looking at here. Uh, no, that makes perfect sense. Uh, and that actually, it's kind of the direction that I've been trying to move towards too. I like the I, I like what I did with that Triple M trade. It felt good using daily candles in order to tell me what to do so I don't have to watch it 24-7. I want more of that. Yeah. And to your point, I think that there's a, a place in everybody's toolkit for both. I think yeah. we can have space for short-term trades. I traded zero DTE SPX options yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, today, I traded none of them, right? It's it's a small subset of what I do. L less than 10% of my trading volume is less than a week, essentially. Maybe maybe a little bit more, but it's a minority, nonetheless, is the, is the main point. Okay. So that is Delta. So Blaine, as I'm thinking about your stuff, the reason why this Delta part matters is if we pick something that is like a ratio call or put diagonal call is if we want to be bullish put is if we want to be bearish. If we go further out in time, essentially our deltas move slower. We have less overall volatility in the movement of our position tends to be a better thing. Again, you're going to move dollar for dollar with the underlying. I want to be clear about that. But the reason why you're going to see a little bit less volatility if you go further out in time is because it's a higher price product. So that $1 move in a $30 you know, option is less as a percentage of the option. So it's going to move less, really what it comes down to. The next thing here is gamma. And this, I believe, will essentially reconcile what we were just looking at with the days to expiration. And the yellow here is a 10-day gamma. The white is a 30-day gamma. All I want to show you is that things that are shorter dated have higher gamma. And again, gamma is what impacts delta. That's all. That is the entire takeaway of this point. And then the last one, theta decay. So you guys have already seen some variants of this. But again, if we're trading something for leverage, and it's Say, for example, a long option. If we don't want to get chewed up holding a long option, we literally can just go further out in time. Once you're beyond this 90-day metric, this is, again, in one specific product, if it'll vary a little bit. But the main point here is once you're outside a 90-day window, your daily theta decay slows down ceteris paribus, meaning that's across all strikes. We can make it slow down even more if we go far in the money or far out of the money, then you're even decreasing your theta decay even more. So this is isolating theta. So what's the takeaway here? If we want less volatility, we can go further out in time, or we can go further in the money coupled with further out in time. That also is bolstered by what we saw in gamma. And then if we want to decrease our theta decay specifically for long options, I would look at going further out in time. But the way you can also look at this is if you want to sell options, I probably don't want to sell this far out because I'm not getting a great return on my money per time. So with these kind of four general traits, the idea is for you guys to take a look at some of these primary strategies that you did or didn't do for the last homework session and to essentially postulate so that on the next session, we can look through maybe one strategy for each of you. And again, it doesn't have to be anything that's super refined, but what I wanna be able to do is say like, 
for Kyle, if you want to look at volatility trading, I want to look at how we consider these different traits and structure an effective volatility trading strategy, which you're somewhat already on your way. And then the same thing for you, Blaine, if we want to do stuff that is less touch, more momentum following strategies, how we can think about integrating this. And for you, it might even be your base position is an equity, and then we use options to enhance or to reduce risk. We could do no cost collars, stuff like that. So depending on your kind of feel on what kind of strategies you want to pursue, I think we'll dial this in. But like I said, I'll send you over those videos so you kind of have what I at least would suggest you take a look at to start, and then we can refine in from there. All right, great Sounds stuff. great, yeah. Yeah, and he's got a ton of videos on ratio cover calls or ratio call strategies. I think there was like 30 episodes in that playlist I looked at. <laughs> yeah, so, and the reason for anybody that's wondering why that is, is like the strategies that I'm talking about with Blaine and really with you guys in general, like th this is literal, it's, it's like no shit what I do. It's like the strategies that I've selected. So what I try to do is share the strategies that I actively use. And, you know, I talk to people about the other ones as well, but there's a reason why I pick these, especially I've been doing this for a while. And it's because like you, Blaine, I've gone through periods where I'm either super busy or not so busy. And it has afforded me a lot of flexibility to still consistently outperform the market, which is really my personal goal. You guys will have to figure out what's right for you. All right. It's time to wrap up. I believe so. All right. Well, I guess that is going to do it then. Thanks everyone who stuck around to the end and especially say thanks to Blaine. I uh, really appreciate uh, sharing what you shared with us today. I think there's so many of us can relate to that. Uh, thank you, Eric, for all the material and just for breaking everything down in such an easy to understand way. Uh, we are continuing to shoot for that two week release cycle. So keep on the lookout for the next one and remember uh, to like, share, subscribe, tell your friends, all that other jazz. Uh, take care, everybody. See you guys. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.